0: She was a dame, see? What a set of stems on you, gal.
1: Radio drone. I am Josh Hadley. I am rated R, and you know why. With me, as always, is Cecil PG13.
0: No, I am like NC17.
1: Well, then that makes Peter TV version.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, there's a, a better cut of me floating around somewhere, but hasn't been released yet.
1: If you guys are looking for a release though, what you do is go to AdamAndEve.com. What you do is you use the promo code DROME and you would get six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now Cecil does exploring videos where he looks at the the histories of, of movies and whatnot. He does videos on The Escapist for movies that are radically different or should be radically different from the way that they were made. Recently he did one on The Crow City of Angels, a movie I f***ing despise. That piece of shit that I saw in the theater th- is not even worth talking about. On the other hand, the version <laughs> Cecil said was actually made, I was more than interested in, although I, you know, none of us have ever seen that. So tonight we're going to talk about alternate versions of movies. That that's not just going to be lost versions, but alternate versions. Why do you think something like Crow City of Angels was was released in such a truncated what the hell happened form as the piece of garbage i accidentally gave money to to go see in the theater why do you think we probably will never see what the version that the that the director made
0: well uh the thing is it's i mean it's it's simple like There's a simple reason as to why it ended up the way it was. Harvey Weinstein, who was the, uh, the, you know, him and his brother were the producers. Even though the director and the writer clearly laid out, this is the movie that we're making. We're making this movie. We're making a movie that is not... The Crow. We're making a movie that it has the elements of The Crow, but it is a completely different story from the original Brandon Lee movie. Uh, So this is what we're doing. And they gave them the go ahead. And then they made that. And then when they came, you know, when they saw it, they were like this. We didn't want this. And then basically took it away from them and reshot a good chunk of the film and made it into what it turned out to be. There was a combination of reasons. First being, like I said, Harvey Weinstein. The second being is that the movie was the the original cut. Now, this is just the director's cut. This wasn't more than likely the cut that was going to be released into theaters. The first cut that they presented was 160 minutes. If you are a proper director, you always present a cut that is longer than than the intended movie that you want, because the producers are always going to want something to edit. So you always leave something in there that you can remove. You know, you always put in something like, all right, um, well, you know, this is the movie that I want to make, but I'm going to put a little bit extra in there because I know that they're going to be like, ah, could you trim it down? So if they presented a 160 minute movie and they trimmed it down to like maybe 130 or something or 140, you know, basically cut it down, make them happy. They, you know, they were, oh, it's too long, blah, blah, and then they really freaked out. The other reason, because the movie was so long, and because even if they did kind of trim it down, they wanted it to be more like the original Crow, and they also wanted it to be 90 minutes, because when you have a 90-minute movie, it's going to play more times in a week, in a day than a 160 minute or 140 minute movie. So th- they went back, reshot the movie to be like the first crow. And the big problem was that the movie was not intended to be that. So because they went back and reshot all this stuff, then they kind of m- jumbled it all together. And then people watched it and they're like, this doesn't make sense. This movie sucks. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because they turned it into something that it wasn't supposed to be. That's incredibly infuriating. And I can't imagine all because the um, the people that worked on it were heartbroken because they had dumped all this effort and and just time and, and stuff into the movie. And then to have basically one guy come along and be like, nope, and just undo everything that they did. And then when the movie sucks. You don't see people bad. I mean, you see people like us bad mouthing him, but the general public doesn't know that this kind of stuff goes on. So they're like, "Ah, oh, that director sucked, man," or "That actor sucked," and and they're just going after them. So that's the that's just the the major frustrating part of that.
1: Why do you think this that this happens? Why do you think that that this kind of thing happens? Why do you think that the executives think that they know better than the than the person who actually made it? Because you, you usually have two reasons that a film is cut down mpaa reasons or runtime but you also have the i know better why do you think that is
2: being the uh provider of the funds for the film like for the money and stuff the executives get it into their head that they're entitled to a chunk of the creative process where they can uh change things or or have things reshot because they personally wanted something different or or the, like like I said like they're they're offering up the money to do it and suddenly they think they're they'll, they're filmmakers too and they suddenly know better than the than the director and the the writer and and stuff like that and it's it's complete bullshit because that can really break the movie and it has uh it has broken a lot of movies that that, that goes for like Blair Witch 2 was was pretty much ruined in its uh theatrical release Reindeer Games is a completely different movie from the theatrical release and of course the the whole Crow City of Angels thing where they completely turned it into the opposite of of what it was meant to be I think that really destroys the art that a movie can be and, and should be when it falls into the the hands of an executive that that thinks because he's uh, he's offering up the funds. That he can get his uh, his or her grubby little hands on the project and change change things because they they feel like they have the right to do it.
1: Well, then speaking of of Harvey Scissorhands, he has a reputation of doing this. There's a few people he won't touch, like Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith have both said that Harvey has never tried to cut our movies. At least Kevin Smith until they got to, you know the Dogma era and whatnot. But like Tarantino is like, oh oh, H- Harvey's never tried to touch a frame of my movies. Well, that's because you're. Quentin Tarantino, but what if you're like Richard Stanley? Now, Hardware we can't really use as an example because that was an MPAA nightmare. Submitted over 26 times before it got an R rating. That that that's a whole different topic. Look at Dust Devil. Dust Devil. We've all seen the, the full version now. That came out. It came out on Laserdisc in the mid 90s, but then eventually came to DVD and Blu-ray. An amazing movie. Gorgeous film. Incredibly deep subtext and everything. Movie runs about two and a half hours ish. Do you guys remember how long the Miramax release version was?
0: Eighty minutes, I think.
1: Eighty one minutes <laughs> with credits. <laughs> he cut almost an hour and a half out of the film against wow. Richard Stanley's wishes, and then said, "No, this is the version that will play." And guess what? And guess what everybody said? This version makes no goddamn sense.
0: <laughs> and if memory serves, it's been a while. But I believe that he put in unfinished effects in the film because because I guess they were trying to save money.
1: Well, no, he was going off of the work print, which had unfinished effects. And he just you basically had the work print mastered into his final scissored up version. So, yeah, the VHS, it's hilarious. If if you're a fan of Richard Stanley's Dust Devil, go and find the VHS cut and you're going to be just astonished that this thing exists. Is it, so, sometimes uh, the different cut of a movie can make, like, a, like uh, Peter pointed out with Reindeer Games, two totally different cut, two totally different films. Now, I haven't seen this, the director's cut of Reindeer Games, but like we mentioned in the 1989 Underwater movie episode, The Abyss. I can't stand the theatrical cut. I think the director's cut, 28 minutes longer, is a totally different film for The Abyss. Mm-hmm. It's only yeah. a half hour longer, but it's a completely different film. Same thing with Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate deserved its reputation of one of the worst films of all time, if you judge the theatrical cut. It (laughs) wasn't until 1985, when the director's cut came out on Z Channel, that you went, wow, there's a good movie hidden in here. But that theatrical cut deserved its reputation of one of the worst films ever made. Different cuts of different films really make a difference. And then you go into the area of director's cuts. Now, Cecil... You've you've often said that you'll always side with the director. I don't always do that, but in most cases, yes, I agree with you. The director's cut should be the one that's seen.
0: Oh, I'm not saying that, like, look, there, directors have been wrong before, but if it comes down to it, I will always side with the director unless there's something... Really fishy, like the whole recent Josh Trank thing with uh, with Fantastic Four or, or like,
1: Oliver Stone's Alexander
0: or Oliver Stone. Yeah, because where-
1: the, that was he released his director's cut to the theater and then everyone hated it. So he he recut it to a, a more commercially viable cut. And I'm like, that's just you just sold out with Alexander. <laughs> Oliver Stone is basically saying, I really want you people to like this movie. So I'm going to give you the version you wanted, not my version. Well, Mm. screw you, Mr. Stone.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will always side (laughs) with the director simply because they're the ones that have their name on the line like they're the ones that are this is their vision. They were hired to make this. This movie was their vision. And if the studio comes along and screws it up somehow and they, you know, they want to change it or whatever, they're going to do it with impunity because people people never pay attention to the who the producers names are. I'd say the majority of of uh of people will keep an eye on who the director's name is but they could give a rat's ass who the producer is and the producer ends up being the one that often will screw up a film
1: when it comes to director's cuts though it's it's funny how the how a director's cut is a relatively new trend in hollywood through the 60s and early 70s that was the only version that was released was the version that you saw it was very rare to go back and recut a movie to to suit either the director's vision or to make maybe make it more commercial or whatnot. That was very rare. So that's only an 80s and up thing. Mm. Isn't it funny how we often refer to director's cuts nowadays, and it it is such a, in the history of film, such a relatively young trend?
2: I'm glad that that, that, that came about, that we actually get to see... Uh, the real version of it, and then we have one that we can we can compare to the theatrical. You know, you side with the director and you want to see uh, their vision of it. And there are movies that I still really would like to see the the true uh, director's cut of. One of the, the biggest examples for me is, and it's a movie I, I already very much enjoy, and that's uh, Exterminator 2. The trailer yeah. for
1: that is full of scenes that are not in the there film. There
2: are scenes that were completely dropped from the film. It's because Canon didn't like uh, the version of the, the film was presented for whatever reason and it seems like it like a movie i would like to see because you have a different ending for one i would have liked to have seen that ending i would have liked to have seen the pub shootout that that happens and all these scenes that were that were left out that i think would have made uh exterminator 2 more of a, a sleazier film that was more in tone with the first film we really get um a tribute paid to that filmmaker uh, and and just with all the the different versions of movies that we that we, you know you got the director's cuts of, of of Blade Runner of Dune and all that stuff so it's it's something that that I'm glad we're seeing more of because there are better versions or just different versions of movies floating around that we haven't seen director's cuts of yet
0: probably because uh, directors have gotten a little bit more clout over the years because they've gotten uh, names like. Probably one of the first that really got people talking in in terms of, you know, the director was Spielberg because there was, you know, he had come out with movie after movie. And then people were like, oh, my God, you know, this is another Spielberg movie. We have to see that. So his name kind of became attached to it. Mm. You had directors that would start to get more clout. And it is funny because, like, now there are certain movies that will come out. It'll be like you know this movie directed by blah blah blah. It, whereas normally they never would have said that. You know normally it would have just been like you know here's the movie or whatever.
1: That 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 kind of goes into how the Alan Smithy credit was created. 19 I think it was 1962, Death of a Gunfighter. That movie was the first Alan Smithy film to show how how little matter the director had or how little clout the director had. Numerous trade magazines reviewed the movie. And we're commenting on how great Smithy's direction is. And as a new director, by the way, this was by a veteran who had 20 films under his belt, that how great of a career he's going to have in front of him for Death of a Gunfighter. That's (laughs) how little clout it had that no one even noticed that this is a veteran director who's using a pseudonym and everyone just thinks it's a new guy. the, The director, I agree with you, until relatively recently, he didn't matter as much. But at the same time, the director can guide the movie, but sometimes they really do need, need someone else to step in. I can't even count how many movies I've seen where the director's cut is worse than the theatrical cut because, because the director had complete autonomy. He needed somebody to kind of pull back. Tarantino with Death Proof. Remember how when Rodriguez made Planet Terror, there's the missing reel, Right. And there's obviously all this really big stuff that happens in the missing reel. Well, Rodriguez didn't film any of that because that's part of the joke of Grindhouse. Well, Tarantino filmed the entire movie and then just cut a reel out. Well, he put it back for the DVD. His words, because the footage was just too good to not be seen because the guy's ego is so huge. And that 20 minutes he put back are some of the most boring, pointless self-masturbatory shit I have ever seen. He needed, <laughs> he needed somebody to go, "No, Quentin, th- this was cut for the right reason."
0: That is why you do need to have a combination of things when you're making uh, a film. You need to have a producer that understand well, you need I mean even if you have a director who is a loose cannon like Tarantino, you need to have a producer who knows when to give you leniency and knows when to call you on your shit and you need to have an editor that will tell you to shut the fuck up you need to have an editor that understands the way that you work and will take your movie and will cut it properly and be like look this scene of exposition yes there is a lot of great dialogue there's some amazing acting going on here but we already know this. The audience already will pick, figure this out. If you have this really long scene in here where it's just talking and it kind of slows the whole pace of the film down, this needs to go. It's not essential, it needs to go. Put it on the DVD as a deleted scene, fine, but certain things have to go. So you really need a combination of, you know, a talented director of the vision, you need a producer who's not going to stick his dick where it doesn't belong, and you need an editor who is close enough to the director where he can tell him to knock it off.
2: Oh my God! With Death Proof, uh, they were good to be left out of the movie because so much of that movie is bogged down by completely unnecessary. You expect the you expect the talky scenes to be good in a Tarantino movie. Usually he writes a fairly decent dialogue. In in this case, more should have been cut. Uh, because it, it was just a complete waste of Kurt Russell, and just had this like random babble about nothing for for almost two hours, waiting for car chases to start. So yeah, Death Proof is a is a good example that that sometimes the director's cut isn't isn't the best cut. Sometimes it is. Uh, it, it can be the theatrical. I I may be one of the rare people that actually thinks the theatrical uh, the theatrical and original like VHS and DVD release of, of RoboCop. Is better than the extended director's cut. I actually think that the the extra gore, like you know, seeing more of the the dummy of, of Murphy that gets shot, uh, the extended ED two oh nine stuff. I I actually think it it bogs the movie down a bit, and the theatrical and original home video release is actually a lot tighter. So sometimes in the rare case a uh, a theatrical cut can be better than a director's cut. And I think Death Proof is a a solid example of that. Though that's a movie that I think. Could have been different in a in a lot of ways. Just a just a waste of Kurt Russell.
1: You also have directors like Albert Pune. Albert Pune and Orson Welles. Both Orson Welles and Albert Pune had their first film completely theirs: Citizen Kane and Sword and the Sorcerer. What we got were their cuts of the film. After that, neither one of those directors ever had final cut again. Albert <laughs> Pune has made over forty movies, and he has said he has never even been allowed in the editing room past Radioactive Dreams, his second film. And even then, he didn't get his director's cut. On the other hand, you've got Orson Welles. Ever since Kane, he never had final cut. Even on masterpieces like Touch of Evil, that's not his cut of the film. So it makes you wonder just how different would Orson Welles' version of Touch of Evil have been? I mean, the closest we (laughs) can get, because they can't find all of the footage— was they made an assembly cut based on Orson Welles' notes on the mm. order and how certain scenes should play and whatnot. And the assembly cut of Touch of Evil is the closest we'll ever get to knowing what Orson Welles' Touch of Evil would have been like. It makes you mm. wonder, like, Albert Pune, over 40 movies, and he's, he's never even been let into the editing room, he said. He, he would turn in the footage, and then the studio would be like, all right, we'll call you for the premiere, bye that how a director should be treated in Hollywood, especially someone like Pune or wells in the old days
2: Christ no like Jesus Christ like no um albert Pune is um he, he's uh, an, an underrated filmmaker but a very talented one in his movies usually the the director's cut is better like the like the release of of nemesis that came out almost made no sense because again a lot of the Uh, expository stuff and and story was cut to make room for more action and and it made it makes the movie make no sense his version of it is better i still need to see his uh his cut of cyborg what is it a slinger is like the original title yeah i still haven't seen that and i'd really like to because
1: his cut of captain america does make more sense
0: slinger let me tell you this slinger the the soundtrack for it is completely different like the cuz the movie wow. uh it had like kind of a synth pop soundtrack which I it didn't wasn't like bad Cy- i, I but never it didn't... liked cyborg but it didn't but dude the 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 freaking uh, slinger version the original soundtrack is a full on metal soundtrack with with Wow. G- with with guitar leads and all this like badass fretwork going on more while they're sense fighting,
1: because which make more sense which, because all the, sense characters because the, the characters are guitars. named after guitars.
0: Exactly, <laughs> they're all named after guitars, and it's like it's just another thing. Yeah, I I, I had to import Slinger, and it is. Unfortunately, it is a really rough cut because mm. it's it's stitched together from like VHS copies, uh work print and all that. And um wow. it's it's the better movie.
2: Wow. I was yeah, I was so going to check that. I definitely need to need to see that one because Jesus. Yeah. Just for that. uh Like I like the the synth poppy soundtrack in Cyborg. But but yeah, I mean, I, I can I can notice that a lot of story elements are cut. They're kind of sprinkled in here and there um but i i do feel like there's a there's a better movie in there than what we got and i'm really looking forward to uh sitting down and watching that even if it is a lot of like rough cut stuff oh it's still very watchable but
0: it's just that it's like because you're watching it and it it kind of it'll it'll cut from like you know the mastered footage and then it'll go (laughs) into like the the on you know the the vhs print that's like kind of blown up and it uh and it just gets <laughs> very muddy and I mean I've seen many you know work prints like that mm-hmm. uh that just because that was the only footage that was available and it's it's just such a yeah. bummer because it's like this like I I think that the cyborg The movie that came out was entertaining, but it wasn't like it wasn't anywhere near what it should have been. And then watching Slinger, you're like, all right, this makes sense. This is no, this is not a award winning film, but it is a (laughs) competent, good, entertaining, kick ass film that shouldn't have turned into what it did. Stay alive is a great case of what happens when the guys who got hired to do the movie They came in, they, they, it was, I forget what studio it was, but they came in and they were like, okay, here's your budget. You can, you know, you're making an R rated horror film and they were like, awesome. And they shot about 80% of it. And about, you know, about that point, Disney bought the studio and they were like, we don't want an R rated film released under our label. So they took the film away from them and recut it to make it a pg-13 film and because there was one really nasty subplot in the movie that was essential to explaining everything that was going on they removed it Mm. entirely so now you're watching the movie and then they're like well that doesn't make any goddamn sense and it was all (laughs) because they removed that section of the film that's got to be infuriating you're you're like you're hired by one company you're making the film that you were hired to do and then disney comes along and is like nope and just completely pulls the thing out from under you. I mean, that's got to, like, Ugh. I could, I could understand, like, I mean, it's as infuriating as it is when you're working for a studio. Like, you, you turn in your finished version of the film, and then whoever is in charge there decides to screw it over. But the people who hired you, they still wanted that movie. But then somebody else came along and, and took over, and, uh oh, it's just, it's just maddening. It's so irritating. Mm-hmm. And it just, well, it, but- how many movies have just been ruined? Let's go Let's go back to, like, the Orson Welles thing. Mm-hmm. Orson
1: Welles is regarded as one of the greatest directors in the history of Hollywood, and ever since Citizen Kane, he's never had final cut of, the, of one of his films. That's a very telling story, isn't it? When he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award in the 70s, John Huston accepted the award for him because he was still exiled in France. He had tax problems mm. at that point, and if he'd set foot on U.S. soil, the IRS was going to descend on him. So John Huston accepted the award for Orson Welles, and John Huston basically gave the middle finger to Hollywood. He's, uh-huh. he, he, his acceptance speech was, "How dare you people give Wells a lifetime achievement award when you will not let him actually work in Hollywood? One of the most respected directors ever doesn't get final cut."
0: What's extra infuriating about that is you look at the vast majority best movies ever made, and Citizen Kane is well more than likely. Let's say you take ten lists and i'd say 9 out of 10 of them they're going to put citizen kane as the best movie ever made
1: in all honesty they most of those lists would also probably include the magnificent ambertons the fourth man and touch of evil
0: mm-hmm. all from <laughs> orson you know, wells as well but i mean yeah exactly so it's it's just maddening that it's like here's a guy who obviously is a master of his craft he knows what he's doing and he's brilliant at it and you won't let him Flourish, You know, you won't let yeah. him do or at least simply, OK, you know what? We're going to do this movie, but we're going to let you have final cut. And if it and then le- like I could see if they let him have final cut, like let's say they did a couple of movies and they cut it and then they gave him final cut on one. And then maybe it was like, OK, well, it it didn't pan out or something. Then it would be like, OK, maybe he does need an editor or whatnot. But the fact that they never even gave him that opportunity And the thing is, that was back in the day when, you know, we didn't have the director's cuts and all that. So it wasn't like even a possibility. Like now you're seeing things like, uh, God, I never thought we'd get the completed version of Nightbreed. Clive Barker. And uh, it's still
1: not a total complete version. There are still scenes that Clive wanted in there that he shot. They just can't Mm -hmm. find. So it's still not the version that he that he shot. Back but in it's
0: as close to as it probably will ever be. And yeah. I mean, they, they went back. They had Doug Bradley re-record some audio and they did a lot of like fixing on the movie. So the simple fact that that happened is amazing. So that's why I'll never give up hope that hopefully one day we'll get the Berlinger cut of uh, B- Blair Witch 2. Hopefully one day we'll get Tim Pope's cut of uh, Crow
2: City of Angels. You know, uh, other movies that have just since been butchered. Well, it's ridiculous considering the man's first movie was Citizen Kane, and they don't trust him. Well, uh, you do have to remember, cut.
1: Citizen Kane bombed at the box office because of the controversy over Hearst. So his first <laughs> movie, where we did give him Final Cut, almost got the studio sued and lost money. Mm. So you do got to look at it from that perspective, too.
2: I guess so. But I mean, it It ended up you know, becoming uh, considered one of the greatest movies of all time. So it really is... Uh, it's ironic and it's infuriating that uh, that a guy who produced that as as his first film didn't get to have a final cut. Like, that's, that's as bullshit as it gets.
1: Well, how about when you have multiple cuts of the same film? And I'm not talking about, like, a TV edit, you know, being one of the multiple cuts. Let's look at, like, Blade Runner. I don't really like the final cut of Blade Runner, the new Blu-ray one. Maybe it's mm. because I grew up seeing the other four cuts of the film you know, constantly, <laughs> maybe, you know, just a fifth cut is too much for me. And and we have never discussed this before. I don't know where either of you stand. I really like the narration in the original cut. Mm. I'm one of the people, I'm a, I'm a narration booster. I think it gives it more of the noir feel that it was going for. It really cuts to the chase. It sums up characters perfectly. Like the first time we meet Bryant and he starts using the, the term skin job. And you're not quite sure exactly what skin job is in, in reference to the replicants. And the narration, Brian's the kind of cop that in the 1950s would have called black men niggers. Mm. Right there. That sums up Brian's character more than five minutes of screen time would have. And in a movie yeah. as, as paced as Blade Runner, you need that. The narration yeah. helps the film. Yes, the, the ending, the, the whole shining ending is moronic and you needed the unicorn scene. I give you that. I liked the narration. I'm a Blade Runner narration booster.
0: I like it without it. I like uh, I like Ridley's cut better. I just think that the uh, the narration um, it's it's good, but it's, um, it it is a little too browbeating. I, I, but I mean, I've always been more of a. Uh, show-me-don't-tell-me kind of thing. Like, if you can express to me what's going on, rather than uh, having, uh, you know, uh, nar- a narrator. But it's also
1: supposed to be like a sci-fi 40s noir tale, which the narration perfectly fits into.
2: She was a dame, see? What a set of stems on you, gal. I do prefer the the Ridley cut, the director's cut, but I do like the uh, narration version, too. I think with... Um, with Blade Runner, the the fun thing with that is that you have all these different versions of it that you can watch. I don't know if I've seen all five. Maybe during the the course of uh, time that I've that I grew to, to love the movie and stuff and saw different versions of it. Um, but yeah, I, I like the Ridley cut and I like the the narration cut. That was the theatrical original home release, right?
1: For, for Blade Runner, the theatrical cut had the narration on it and the shining ending, but did not have the unicorn scene. Then, mm. then they released in Europe, there was that the, the same cut as the, the theatrical, but it had more violence. more you Bruce know, yeah. gets shot more times, his fingers getting broken are more violent. It was stuff that was cut to get an R rating. Then mm. you had Ridley's director's cut in 1993, but then right before that, they accidentally screened the work print which had <laughs> some of the Ridley Scott cut scenes and some of the scenes with the narration and the theatrical cut. It had the unicorn scene, but it also had the narration in the work print. And then you finally got the Blu-ray, the fi- what's called the final cut. So those are the five major cuts of Blade Runner. And wow. I love the movie. It's an important film. I just don't think it needs five official versions.
2: Yeah, for me, it's definitely... Um, I prefer... Uh, Ridley's cut, but I like the theatrical as well. I think those are, those are my, my versions of, uh, of Blade Runner. I like those,
1: you know, and then, but then you've got it like it, like a director, like James Cameron, he started to get known as the, I'll wait till video for the director's cut. Terminator two theatrical cut director's cut, massive improvement. Aliens, same thing. Abyss, same thing. True lies, yeah. same thing. You kind of, after a while, you kind of went. Why should I even go see a James Cameron movie in the theater? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting an, I'm getting a truncated, aborted version. When you have uh-huh. a director that's known for director's cuts, does that kind of undercut the theatrical version?
0: Uh, well, I mean, he's kind of a rarity where he'll uh, push out you know that version, and uh, I guess he. I mean, Cameron knows how to play the game. He understands that, uh, uh, you know, the studios are going to want one thing and uh, he's going to want to deliver another. And something like The Abyss, The Abyss was not a big moneymaker to begin with in the in the theater. So if it would have been even longer, it wouldn't it would have made even less money. It's nice that he at least... Is able to do that because how many directors will just put out a version and then just, oh, well, you know, I wanted to do this version, but the studio wouldn't let me. So now I've moved on and I'm, I, am you know, never, you know, I don't want to return to that because there's some directors who they don't like to go back. And that kind of bugs me because it's like, well, your your history is, is what got you to where you are now. Why wouldn't you want to? have people see the version that you you wanted. Especially now with something like Blu-ray where you've got the space that you can have both versions on the freaking disc.
1: In the case of James Cameron, I think with Aliens, gun scenes in the hallway, they're interesting. Some of the other dialogue scenes are interesting. The stuff with Newt's parents are interesting. It was absolutely ridiculous to cut the scene about Ripley's daughter. That scene is absolutely necessary to explaining her in the theatrical versions almost unnatural attachment to newt that mm-hmm. scene it's only a minute and a half or so long you needed that scene in the theatrical cut so i think it was ridiculous that if even if you had to cut all the other stuff that that scene was cut that scene was
2: yeah that one really adds uh it adds a great uh, emotional level to the film and it's the same same goes for terminator 2 uh the theatrical and original home video release cutting the the dream sequence with with Reese like that scene with uh with uh, Sarah dreaming about Reese and and just um Michael Bean's performance like that really adds uh to the character of of Sarah Connor and it adds a uh, a nice a nice uh, extra layer to the film and, and and cutting it just it just uh to me the the version to, the versions of the film that do, that don't have uh those dream sequences and and those like little extra moments it just it really isn't Terminator 2 to me. Like I, I think James Cameron his his versions of his films are, are definitely a prime example of the director knows what he's doing because yeah that the whole daughter thing because you don't even know that Ripley had a daughter in the in the first uh, Alien. So in Aliens when you when you find out about that that she had a daughter that died you know years ago because she was floating around in space for so long it it really does explain. Uh, her attachment to Newt and it totally adds to the movie like it's w- without that the movie really doesn't work as well
1: no, it doesn't and to go back to Terminator two, I think another absolutely necessary scene is where Sarah is taking out the terminators c p u and tries mm-hmm. to smash it because yeah. other, otherwise you go from her completely distrusting Arnold to being okay with him. You needed yeah. that transition scene where she had to battle herself and John. Mm-hmm. into realizing they needed him. Yeah. Now I realize that that was like a seven minute scene. So that can really, you know, it, it kind of the pacing is a little wonky with that. But then look at Ridley Scott when it comes to pacing. Look at Prometheus. Prometheus, mm-hmm. what was the number one complaint theatrically? The film makes no sense. The characters <laughs> have no motivation for what they do. The film is jumping all over the narrative and it makes no sense. Ninety percent of the makes no sense. were covered in deleted scenes. Why were yeah. those scenes deleted? They wrecked the pacing of the film. Ridley Scott literally made the movie make no sense at all, so it would be more, so it would be better paced. That I think is just asinine. Yeah. Who gives a shit about the pacing if it makes no sense? Exactly. There are so many scenes in Prometheus that just make no sense because they have no context to them. Yeah, because because Ridley removed all of the context because well it wrecked the pacing. My question to you is: Would you rather have Prometheus paced really well or make fucking sense?
0: There there's a happy medium. You can still keep the pacing and figure out a way to edit in things to ha- to have it make sense. You can break scenes up. You can put things in. You can come back to them. Like there are clever tricks that you can do. To not bog down the script if there's something that needs to be in there, uh, but you've got it shot, but you can't, you can't go back and, you know, reshoot it or do it differently or there, there are clever ways that you can get it in there. So just removing something outright, it, it, it's not a good way to go about doing something. So uh, when you're making a film, you really have to make sure that it's like, okay, well, this is a very important scene that is going to explain what's going on. We need to get it into the movie, but we need to make sure that it is engaging enough that people aren't going to tune out. But on the same token, though, there are a lot of scenes in movies that. Are a lot of dialogue, and they're really interesting because the acting is good or the story is good. But people tune out because they have ADD and they can't pay attention to dialogue past three seconds unless there's an explosion. That kind of bugs me uh, to a certain degree, and I know you hate when uh, you know a director just can't stop editing. I, so, I can't
1: stand the rapid fire editing. Right? Yeah,
0: that bugs the hell out of me too where it's like oh my god you know you could have something go on for longer than 10 seconds
1: what about when we as americans get the truncated cut but the europeans get the real cut of the film for instance i'm glad i saw leon the professional before i ever saw the professional because the american version the professional is a piece of shit if I had seen that first, I highly doubt I would have ever given the Leon version a chance. And I think <laughs> Leon the Professional is an amazing film. The American version it was like, what the fuck was that? Or a- another one would be Brazil. Brazil, when, re- when released in 1985, was being hailed by European critics as one of the best movies of the entire 1980s. Roger Ebert and some of the American critics were going, Are you nuts? This movie's horrible. Why? Well, the version all the American critics were seeing was missing 28 minutes of footage. And made no sense and had a different ending to it. Gee, I wonder why nobody liked it. Or another (laughs) one, Life Force. Life Force was released minus 17 minutes in America. Bombed with critics and in the theaters. European audiences were hailing this as, Oh my God, this is like a Nigel Neal movie on a huge budget. This is fantastic. What about when the Europeans get the real version and we get shit?
2: I, I feel lucky when it comes to Leon the Professional, for one, because that is the only version of it that I've seen, uh, and I didn't, I didn't know Watching there was another. Watching the
1: Professional, the American version, is trying to like watch the TV version of I Spit on Your Grave. <laughs> there is so much missing that you just, I mean, it's, it's even full of jump cuts because of how much they edited out.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's really sad. It's not something that I've that I've had uh too much trouble with. I guess I don't know, we might get uh the extended or original cuts, uh, earlier in, in Canada or something. And I am originally from Europe as well. So that probably makes it easier too. So yeah, I've only seen the, the, you know, the, the full director's cut version of Leon, the professional, the real version of life force, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm lucky in, in that regard, you know, the, the, the real cut of Brazil, stuff like that. So, so yeah, that really sucks, especially, how can you show that like a completely edited down, you know, 20 to 30 minutes missing? How can you show that to to critics and actually expect like real decent reviews like or, or any like honest kind of reviews when it's not actually the full movie? Well, in
1: the case of Brazil, Sid Sheinberg's reasoning, he was the head of Universal at the time, his reasoning for cutting the movie as severely as he did was audiences are different. European audiences will like your artsy-fartsy version. American audiences need it shorter. They need the edit tighter and they need more action and they, Oh, and they want to have, and American audiences want a happy ending. That's that the, yeah. such
2: crap. That's that such that crap. is what Sid
1: Sheinberg's rationale was for why he released that severely truncated piece of crap in America. Cause I think the, 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 the director's cut of Brazil, the European cut is in my top five favorite movies of all time. The theatrical cut, is a goddamn mess <laughs>
2: it's just such that's borderline retarded reasoning because if you want to talk about europe and and like that you're talking about the land of remake exploitation and and people that that are known to be obsessed with like mad max and and rambo and I, I, doing I their own versions to, of it
1: i think he's more referring to england france that kind of yeah uh,
2: i guess but still my point still stands like they they love action movies over there like uh, especially like, you know, uh, in Italy or where I come from, uh, Serbia, we really love the, the action stuff, the Schwarzenegger stuff, Stallone stuff. So it's just stupid to assume, oh, they just like the, the artsy stuff. No, they, uh, Europeans love action and, and shit like that just as much as uh, Americans do. So it's, it really is just asinine reasoning. Uh,
0: a good one is the European cut of Eyes Wide Shut. Uh in the American version, they were so panicked because uh, you know, the large part of the movie takes place at this orgy that they put oh, in. Oh, are you talking
1: about the digital people?
0: Yeah, they put in digital people and the digital planters and stuff that were, you know, blocking so you couldn't see and people obvious having sex. As hell. Yeah, that stuck out like a sore thumb. And it kind of undercut the entire OS I shouldn't be here thing. Like like there was stuff going on that like you couldn't see where it's like where Tom Cruise realizes Oh, I really should not be here, and <laughs> so that kind of made the whole intensity of the scene like it deflated it. So when he's finally brought before the council and they're like, uh, you know, how did you get here? They're they're interrogating him and they find out who he is. You're like, there's no real fear. It's like, all right, a bunch of perverts are having sex, and you're not really seeing. Oh this is something that you know he shouldn't you know that, that he's the wrong person to be here so they they cut that out <laughs> just horrendously and then going on to the happy ending thing same thing happened with uh, with city of angels city uh, crow the city of angels had a crew a, a horrible depressing ending but they turned that into a happy ending why why would you do that you know they've gotten the longer version they've gotten the artsy you know, quote unquote artsy version. But then the thing is, like, people will, com- there are a lot of people that will complain that they're like, you know, well, uh, we want the artistic version. We want that version. They'll see that version and they'll like it. But then you get a lot of people that go to the theater that are like, it was too long. It's too much talking. Leon, I actually saw The Professional first, and then I saw Leon years later. And I, I thought, am that I the-
1: wrong that The Professional is a terrible version of that film?
0: Oh, absolutely. The uh, Leon is the version that, you know, should have been released. Uh, I think the thing was the professional when it came out, I was really enjoying the kind of wave of crime movies that we got because that uh, there was that there was uh, Romeo was Romeo was bleeding. And Romeo was... is
1: Bleeding is a fantastic film, by the way. is Bleeding is a
0: fantastic film. Uh, Lena Olan
1: is the most badass one-armed assassin you will ever encounter.
0: Yeah, she was fantastic. <laughs> I loved her. So that was the whole thing. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't... Um,
1: Ro- Roy Scheider uh, was in that, and he cut one of Gary Oldman's
0: toes off. That's it. I'm saying Gary Oldman. Yeah, I'm like Gary Oldman was in that one, too. You know, so... But, uh, yeah, that, that movie is so good. But I was really digging the whole... That we were getting all these like cool crime movies. And uh, the, so I saw the professional and I thought it was like, I thought it was good. I thought it was, you know, it was kind of cool. And I liked the whole thing. And then years later I, I saw Leon and I was like, okay, this is a much better film. This is the film that should have been. I, the thing with Leon too, one of the things that I don't think you mentioned, they never went into it, but there definitely was, a sort of there definitely was some sort of attraction between matilda and leon and i know that it
1: was a one-way attraction because there was actually a scene that's not in any version in any version of the film she tries to pay him back for his kindness by sleeping with him and he turns her down which Mm. i think is a a very (laughs) powerful scene a scene that completely defines their relationship Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's a scene that Even European audiences were kind of like, okay, might be a little too far because, you know, she's 12.
0: Right. Yeah. But I mean, well, I'm saying, okay, I I, like he he definitely kept doing the, you know, the spit takes. So he there wasn't. But what I mean is that, like, he was kind of coming at her from a I don't want to say parental a mentor thing. And she was falling in love with the mentor. And so that but the thing is. Uh, So American audiences would that was more or less what I was getting into. Uh, Not a not so much a mutual thing, but he was a mentor who was, uh, you know, looking at her from that perspective. And she was falling in love with him. American audiences would have immediately screamed pedophile. And
1: they they actually one of the one of the big cuts Miramax absolutely refused to have the scene where they're in bed together. Now, they're not having sex. They literally mm-hmm. are just sleeping in the same bed together. And he's mm-hmm. on top of the cover, yeah. she's under the covers. They're both fully clothed, and they're both just literally sleeping on a bed together. Miramax yeah. went, no!
0: Brazil, uh, I have not seen the longer cut. And Life Force uh, Life Force is another one where I saw the, uh, the theatrical cut. And uh, I still liked it. I mean, I liked... Um
1: doesn't make any sense, but yeah. It doesn't
0: make any sense. Uh I liked Matilda May walking around naked for the whole film. <laughs> and that was you know, I I um I I very much enjoyed that.
2: But Patrick uh then Stewart, uh, Patrick Stewart's screaming his head off. Yeah, just, No, no,
1: the, no. <laughs> Patrick Stewart's first on screen kiss with Steve Ralseback. Steve yeah. <laughs> yes. No, he, he told he told that story on the tonight show. He's kind of embarrassed. His first on screen kiss was with a dude.
0: <laughs> I think that uh th- like I so I had only ever seen that version for the longest time. And then when uh, Shout Factory or Scream Factory put out uh the Blu-ray, I got that and I was like, Oh, this is great, cause now, you know, now this like really neat movie makes sense. <laughs> like
1: yeah. before
0: it was like I, I I'm like, okay, I like this. I don't particularly understand everything that's going on, but uh, I think that it's neat.
1: To be fair, they weren't the ones that put that out for the first time. The Laserdisc that came out in 1994, I think it was, of Life Force, was the European cut. So Mm. that cut had been floating around since the 90s. Do you think that we're getting better with it or getting worse? For instance, like how every DVD that comes out now is the uncut, unrated version you didn't see in theaters. It's usually pointless scenes that mean nothing, like yeah. Pitch Black. I was so disappointed when Pitch Black came out unrated. I was like, oh, more gore, more swearing. is No, it's two pointless scenes that literally add nothing to the film whatsoever. <laughs> so are, are, are we moving backwards or forwards when it comes to cuts of films that we all get to see?
2: Well, I think since it became uh, su- such a big groundbreaking thing from the 80s and into the 90s, of uh, directors giving uh, a true fair shake and, and being allowed to to put out their cut of the film. And it became such a big thing that every movie has to be like that, where the version you saw in theaters is, you know, it's not as uh, intense or as violent or whatever as the one you saw and the one you're getting on, on DVD and Blu-ray is this completely different movie. And a lot of the time, it is, as you said, it's like two extra scenes and hardly anything actually changes. It's, it's simply because... It's become the the giant thing that it's that it is the whole uh, director's cut being this being this big deal. But it, it's really only a big deal when when the movie is known for uh, being as cut as it was in theaters, and and you know for a fact that it was meant to be edited a different way. There were scenes missing that told the story better. Like you look forward to uh, a James Cameron cut or a Ridley Scott cut. Whereas nowadays, it's like every movie is. The the unedited, unfiltered. Shut up. It's like, become it's, the standard. Yeah, it's it's just a thing that that almost every every movie is doing now, uh, just to garner more more money and and profit from the from the film. Whether well' because it, it used it to be really...
1: it used to be so rare. Listen to the commentary on the yeah. DVD, on the DVD for Lord of Illusions. Now, obviously, DVDs didn't exist when the movie came out, but Clive said the deal he made was. I will make an R-rated theatrical cut for you as long as I get director's cut on Laserdisc. And they said, deal. So, you know, even back then it was sort of, well, you know, the Laserdisc is where where my cut will be seen. Now it's just, you're right, it's the standard now.
0: I think it's depressing because it used to mean something, and I'm glad that they do, but it is a cop-out for the studio because what they can do is they'll take a movie, that was shot R, cut it to PG 13 and release it into theaters, and then they'll you know put the unrated cut on DVD, the version that everybody should have seen. Uh, the downside to that is twofold. Number one is that the majority of the people that will see it in a theater, if, if they see the PG 13 film and it sucks, well, that's gonna cut into the sales of the DVD because there's gonna be a lot of people that are like, Oh, I'm not gonna watch that. I heard it sucked. And then the other thing too is. There have been a lot of movies that were shot as R that were cut to PG-13, and then when they went to release them on DVD, they didn't bother to release the unrated cut because they're like, well, this movie sucked and nobody wanted to see it, so we're not going to put forth the effort to actually release the Mm -hmm. version that people should see. So it ends up really screwing them over.
1: And then you also have the example of lost scenes, like Exorcist 2. Exorcist 2 was released to theaters and it was such a disaster that they literally pulled it out of theaters for one night. And John Boorman recut the movie and cut eight minutes out of it, which have never been seen unless you saw it opening week. That footage has <laughs> had, that nobody knows what happened to that eight minutes he cut out. It's the wow. same thing with, with 2001. That lost 17 minutes after its first week. They never kept the footage. So the oh. only way you saw the full version of two thousand one is if you saw it the first week it was open in nineteen sixty eight. Jesus. There are there is a whole bunch of lost footage, but that's a that's a different topic. Peter, I, I guess you've been upgraded from the from the TV version to the cable TV version. Where can people <laughs> find you?
2: Uh, I'd like to think of myself as the European laserdisc cut. That's uh, very rare to find. You're the
1: Spike TV edit.
2: (laughs) Oh God, no! That's the worst edit. You can find, uh, I promise you, not the Spike TV edit. uh, If you go to at Cinematica on Twitter, uh, the Cinematicist on YouTube, uh, Cinematicist on Facebook, and you can also find. uh, Find the la- the European Laserdisc copy of me at uh, 1201beyond.com and also Josh Hadley and T-shirts and lots of awesome stuff.
1: Cecil, where can people find the pristine Blu-ray that happens to have a scratch in it that is Cecil T.?
0: Oh, no. The pristine, uncut version of me at uh, escapistmagazine.com, uh YouTube, Twitter, everywhere else.
1: Twitface, stuff. all of it
0: stuff.
1: You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And guys, remember, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Let's try to stay a cut above. Have a good night.